Life sometimes can make you feel powerless, lonely, and anxious. But like the dawning of a new day, we have this promise that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Well, hello, and welcome to all of those who are viewing us online, and uh, welcome to everyone here in the room. Uh, I am Curtis. I am the pastor of Thursday Night Worship, uh, for those of you who don't know me. And as Haley said, um, we're just so glad that you're here with us as we continue this series on power, love, and a sound mind. <clears throat> uh, you know, when I was in uh, middle school as a teenager, in the springtime or the summer, you know, I had this very busy lifestyle. I was a, a huge soccer player at the time, and I remember in my seventh grade year, uh, I played on, on three different soccer teams at one time. And, um, but on a typical Saturday, you know, I'd have one to two games on a Saturday morning. And uh, as you can probably imagine, after those games, I was feeling pretty exhausted uh, from that. And I just, you know, I just wanted to relax. And I would cozy up on the couch, you know, I'd turn on the TV, and uh, I would flip through the channels, if you remember those days, and um, I would uh, search for a good movie to watch. And just as I would settle into the relaxation state, you know, my dad would often come into the room and ask that dreaded question. He'd say, Kurt, can you help me wash the cars? Now... The last thing I wanted to do is to help him wash the cars, to wash three different vehicles. And, and didn't he get that, you know, I was, I was exhausted that, uh, from playing soccer. But of course, you know, begrudgingly, you know, I would agree to do this with him and, you know, because he's my dad. <clears throat> and so I would uh, go through the motions of washing the vehicles and inevitably at some point, uh, he would tick me off even further, and um, he would say, hey, Kurt, you missed a spot. And at first glance, you know, you would think of this uh, as not a big deal. He, you know, just wanted to do a good job. He wanted to uh, wash the vehicles really well. Uh, but this comment actually hit a deeper nerve. You see, if you've ever taken the, the Enneagram personality test, uh, you understand what I, what I mean when I say, I'm a one. And on the Enneagram, a one is nicknamed the reformer. So towards its unhealthiest or its worst, it's also known as the perfectionist. So when I'm not in a good place, you know, I'm tired or I'm stressed, uh, I tend to be more perfectionistic. Why? Because I already have the perfect plan. I've already thought it through. I've already um, made every uh, detail, uh, change that I need to make. Uh, so if any curveballs, any new ideas, uh, at this point, uh-uh, they're not allowed. So in, case, uh, in the case I'm with my dad telling me you missed a spot, not only points out my imperfect job, but I would internalize this to mean that I'm an imperfect person. Or to go even further, I'm unlovable. Have you ever done this? 
internalized a comment deeper than it was intended. You know, at my best, I'm creative. I come up with great systems and ideas that solve problems. Give me a problem and I will analyze it to death to come up with the best solution possible, maybe even a perfect solution. (laughs) But at my worst, I feel shame. I feel unworthy, I feel unlovable. In some ways, it's a blessing, you know, to have such high and excellent standards. But I will also have this lifelong battle with shame. It's the thorn in my side. And what I want you to see is that if you struggle with shame in your your story, in your life, you know, you're not the only one. You're not the first one, and you're not the last one. In fact, in just a minute, I'm gonna share with you uh, the first biblical story of shame. But for my family of origin, can you guess who's also an Enneagram one? You may have guessed it, my dad. Uh, I love him dearly, and if you ever you know, get the chance to meet him, you'll uh, encounter an incredibly gracious and loving man of God. And funny enough, you know, washing cars with him today, uh, it's one of the favorite things I like to do with him. Uh, because it's a time where I get to connect with him. But just to get a bit clearer on what shame is, I'm gonna pull from Kirk Thompson's book, uh, the, the Soul of Shame. And much of this message today is based on his book and his work, and I really liked how he defined the difference between guilt and shame. He says this, guilt is something I feel because I have done something bad. Shame is something I feel because I am bad. So do you you hear the difference there? In the case of my car washing, you know, my dad said, you missed a spot. I didn't just hear that I've done something bad. What I heard, not intended by my father, was you are bad. Even though I can look back on that now and, and, of course, see that this isn't true, I can't deny that's what I felt in the moment. In the case of Genesis 3, we see shame heavily at work. So please turn to your Bible or your Bible app of choice to Genesis 3. And I'm gonna read up to uh, verse 13. And of course, at this point in Genesis, you know, God uh, created the world and all its inhabitants, including Adam and Eve. And here they are living in the Garden of Eden. God instructs them to specifically not to eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. So starting in verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. 
She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden, the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Can I just say, I kind of feel for Eve here. I mean, it's like someone saying to an innocent child, you know, who doesn't know anything about the world, are you sure your parents said that you can't eat any candy? Even Eve doesn't have any experience, nor does she understand that others can be deceptive, that they can lie to you. And after they eat the fruit, what's the first thing they notice? They're naked. And just like a baby out of a mother's womb, it's risky to open our hearts to to God and to others. It's risky to leave the comfort of our home as we're watching the sermon on the screen and join us here in person. So if you're able, join us here in person in the future. And it's risky to be naked and vulnerable with a spouse. It's just too vulnerable that we would rather cover up, we'd rather hide behind a screen, we'd rather do those things than risk exposing ourselves to God and to others. What if they judge me? What if they reject me? These are the things at risk in being open, naked, and vulnerable. On the flip side, on the flip side, this can, this can pay off. We can experience closeness. We can can experience trust. We can experience connection and depth of relationship. We can feel safe. We can feel seen. We can feel heard. We can feel loved and cared for. This was God's intention for human relationships that we would experience his love and love for one another. Now there's a second response. There's a second response to eating of the fruit in Genesis 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why did they hide? Because they knew what they had done. They knew that they had rejected God. And not only did they feel guilt for having done the wrong thing, but they hid from the Lord because they believed the lie that they are bad. They are bad in their bones, in their innermost being. These are the lies. These are the lies. I mean, I wonder, 
I wonder what would have happened if they chose not to hide. What if they owned their wrongdoing and they asked for God's forgiveness? But instead, they tried to hide from God in their shame. They did not want to be discovered. They did not want to be known by God at this point. And in the same way, when we sin, we hide from God because we know that we have rejected him. This is the temptation. When we feel vulnerable, we want to succumb to the lie of the enemy that we are alone. No one will love me because of what I've done. No one will love me because of what I've been through. Not even God. But here's the truth, and we see it first in Genesis 3. God knew what Adam and Eve had done. He's all-knowing. He's the alpha and omega. He's the beginning and the end. And so in verse 9, it says this. Not inviting them into a place of vulnerability merely for vulnerability's sake. Rather, vulnerability is the state we must pass through in order to deepen our connection with God and others, given our condition. There is no other way. So when we experience sin, shame, our temptation is to run and to hide. And here's the beauty of God. He will run after you. You can't hide anywhere. You can't go anywhere that he can't find you. He will not force you to open up, but he will invite you uh, to experience the multitude of his grace and the love of, that, that is, comes through Jesus Christ. And that can only happen if you're willing to let him know you and you desire to know him in return. Now, shame is not just a consequence of Adam and Eve. It is the emotional weapon Satan uses to, one, corrupt our relationship with God and each other, and two, it is the emotional weapon Satan uses to disintegrate any and all gifts of vocational vision and creativity. So what does the devil want to do in your life? He wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy and he does this by planting those lies within. Where does he plant these lies? He plants them in your wounds and in your sins. He simply takes a knife, sticks it in that place, and he twists. Now I can give a personal example of this that happened actually the other week. I said a... Um, a not-so-nice thing about someone else uh, behind their back. And I'll admit that it was, it was wrong of me to do that. And after I said it, you know, I couldn't believe what had come out of my mouth because this is not like me. This is not who I am. But I didn't do anything in the moment. You know, I, I, I shrugged it off, and I, I thought, well... It's not a big deal. You know, he'll never find out. I don't want to make a big fuss about this. Lies. This is where it began. 
and I decided to hide. I decided to hide just like Adam and Eve. But over the next few days, I couldn't stop thinking about this comment. And more lies began to pile up. But what if he finds out? What will he think of me? Uh, well, he'll probably think I'm a bad person. He'll think, you know, that I can't be trusted. This may hurt ministry opportunities. What if other people find out? What will they think of me? Will they lose trust in me? Will they lose respect for me? Will my time at Victory Church come to an end? And so finally, Saturday night rolled around, and, you know, I was pretty cranky at this point. And there was knots in my stomach and in my chest. And I told my wife this scenario, and uh, she listened. You know, she made me feel, you know, safe and uh, made me feel seen and, and even uh, soothed my pain a little bit. And, oh, and by the way, uh, she's a mental health therapist, <laughs> you know, so, uh, so that helps a little bit. Um, but it wasn't until Sunday morning where the real work began. You know, I woke up with the same knots in my chest and stomach, and I had had enough, enough. Now, fortunately, I was learning some new skills uh, through Freedom Ministry here at Victory Church. And the first three keys that uh, we've gone over so far are repentance and faith, forgiveness, and renunciation of spirits and lies. And my shame narrative had driven me down this dark hole. And Brene Brown, another expert on shame, she calls this a crap narrative. Yes, you heard me right. It's called a crap narrative. And in the absence, this is what she says, in the absence of information, we use our imagination. In the absence of information, we use our imagination. And so because I didn't know how this person whom I spoke poorly about would react to my words, I created a crap narrative of shame. And I filled in the information with my imagination. So what did I do first that Sunday morning? Well, I repented. I repented, you know, to God for my sin and my actions, and boom, one piece, one knot, one piece of heaviness gone in my spirit. And then another piece of heaven, another thing was revealed, another lie that I needed to renounce. And one by one, it kept coming. There was others that I needed to forgive. I renounced the spirit of rejection. I renounced the spirit of bitterness. I also needed to forgive myself. And boom, boom, boom. And the final piece that God revealed to me was during worship that morning. All this had derived from a spirit of selfish ambition and pride. And I repented of that, and boom, immediately, all the heaviness in my spirit was gone. And it was gone only because of Jesus. And by the way, you can't do any of this, what I just talked about, you can't do any of this without Jesus. But those of you who believe in Jesus, I also want you to know that you have the authority to do this too. This isn't just reserved for pastors. This isn't just reserved for special spiritual leaders. Anyone who claims to know Jesus Christ has the authority to cast out these lies and these spirits in the name of Jesus. Okay. 
So my point in sharing this story is that you can see where hiding in your shame takes you. It takes you down a dark hole. You feel shame for something, and then you feel shame because, well, I shouldn't feel shamed. And so shame kind of begets shame. Hiding in your shame doesn't save you. It doesn't make you feel better. It doesn't restore. It doesn't just become your little secret. In fact, shame is committed to keeping us sick and stuck. We're only as sick as the secrets that we keep. And if you're not sure if you're a shame-filled person, here's one measurement. Do you have a tendency to judge others? Do you have a tendency to shame others? See, shame people tend to, see, to shame others. And in fact, we see it in the Genesis story. What's the first thing that Adam does after uh, God asks him uh, if he ate from the tree? He says, well, she did it. She made me do it, right? So he, he shames her. And what does she do? He says, no, the serpent made me do it, right? So this shame, she, she, it, it kind of spirals out of control and it starts to blame other people and, and there's really no ownership over one's actions and taking responsibility for these things. But here's the good news. God has an answer to shame. In God's curse of the serpent in Genesis 3, he says this in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he, pay attention, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so the he in this verse is a reference to Jesus. And while the fall of Adam and Eve separated us from God, God takes the initiative in moving toward us just like he did in the garden by coming to earth in Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. If anyone can understand our shame, it's God. For he made himself vulnerable in making us. He made himself vulnerable in coming in Jesus. And in Jesus' last days, he was denied by his closest friends, you know, the same people that shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest as he entered Jerusalem were also the same people at the end of that week who shouted, Barabbas, 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 as they chose the murderer Barabbas over King Jesus. <laughs> he was stripped of his clothing. He was beaten, he was naked, he was flogged, he was pierced with nails on the cross. He was not only shamed, but he was humiliated. And in that humiliation, he bore our shame. So if anyone gets shame, it is King Jesus. And because he was willing to bear our sin and shame, we too can be freed from our shame. Because it is only in his death and his resurrection that we can have new life. So how do we combat this? 
How do we combat this shame that many of us feel from, from maybe sin or from a trauma that we've experienced in our life? First and foremost, you have to take the initial step of vulnerability. We have to stop hiding. We have to be willing to trust the one who understands it all, who loves you, who sees you, who knows you, who can be your safeguard and who, who can heal your pain. And that, of course, is Jesus. In Romans 8, 1 through 2, Paul says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because there, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And in the Garden of Eden, at the end of the fall, Genesis 3, 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and, e Adam and his wife and clothed them. Likewise, this is no coincidence that in Galatians 3, 26 through 27, Paul says, so in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 2 through 3, meanwhile, we groan longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. So if you take the risk of being, being vulnerable with him, he will clothe you in righteousness. Jesus is the first and most important answer to shame. And the second answer comes from the Jesus Creed that we learned you know, a few weeks ago, coming from Mark 12, 30 through 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here's the interesting part about that. You know, you, you can't love others if you can't love yourself. So shame people, shame others. You can't be gracious towards others if you can't be gracious towards yourself. So whatever missteps you've made, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to forgive yourself. Don't let darkness swallow you. Don't hide. Be gracious to yourself as Jesus is indeed gracious to you. The third answer is to share your story with others. The more you hide your story, the more opportunity Satan has to feed you those lies. Shame, again, is committed to keeping us sick and stuck, and we're only as sick as the secrets that we keep. Now, I'm not saying that you have to wear your emotions on your sleeve or uh, that you have to wear your story on your sleeve, but I am inviting you to do is, is, is to take a calculated risk. Take a calculated risk with someone whom you know well and that you trust. Share your story with them. Share your shame narrative with them. And each time you share your story, I believe you'll see God's redemption in it. Shame only grows when we leave it in the dark. Paul says in Romans 10, 11, 
As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never, never be put to shame. So I want to invite those of you who do not yet have a relationship with Jesus and those of you who want to recommit or rededicate your life to Jesus to do so now. And those of you who 